by asserting a biblical worldview. My name is Bruce Johnson. Uh, we are joined today by my brother, Jacob Johnson. Hello. He's joining us remotely back in Pennsylvania, but we're also joined by a special guest, uh, my pastor, Pastor Jonathan Hansen. Welcome to the show for the first time. Thanks so much for joining us today. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure to be here. I uh, really appreciate the invite. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're very excited to chat with you um, and hear what you have to say, and especially on today's show, because this is our third, and I don't want to say final because we're going to keep it open-ended because there's so much more to talk about, and we'll probably come back to this topic again in the future, but especially now, this is our third and final episode uh, discussing the kingdom of God. So we have so much to break down and you talk so much about the kingdom of God in your sermons and, and revolve your church around that. Um, and especially the go therefore aspect and everything that that entails mm. that I just thought it would be wonderful to have you on the show to talk about the more practical aspects of that kingdom, which is kind of what we want to address today. So thanks so, so much for joining and can't wait to chat with you. Yeah, my pleasure. Awesome. So, um, well, you've already gotten, you as the audience have gotten a precursor to kind of what we're going to be chatting about today. But um, before you, we go too much further, I have to remind you, go to our website, trdshow.net. You can find all sorts of cool stuff. Follow us on Gab and Getter where they don't censor us. And then, you know, if you don't have those platforms for whatever weird reason, you can follow us on places that do hate free speech and love communism like Facebook and Instagram. Um and, uh, yeah. and uh, you know, we're certainly not going to hate you for it, but we do recommend you go to Gavin Getter because that's where the real freedom's at. Um, also, send us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com. We would love to hear your thoughts about what we talk about on the show. Send us emails with topic ideas for future topics. If you would like us to dig further into any of the things we talk about today, that's a great way to ask us to do that. Also, leave a comment, like the video, do all the things that lets us know you're enjoying our stuff. Uh, sign up for our newsletter, trdshow.net slash newsletter and all sorts of other stuff. So before we get into our topic today, which is the kingdom of God, are we called to work for it? Are we called to work for it? We have to talk about our verse of the week. And this week, since we actually have a pastor on the show today, I actually want to pass it over to Pastor Jonathan Hansen to break down our verse for us. Absolutely. So our verse for the week, I'm just going to go ahead and read it here before we get into it, is uh, Matthew 9, 35 through 38, which says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So uh, initial thoughts, we uh, as a church just finished wrapping up uh, preaching through the gospel of Matthew. We'd been in that for two, two and a half years, something like that. So, <laughs> so you know we, <laughs> uh, yeah, we moved pretty quickly through it. Actually, anyone who's expositionally preached through one of the gospels knows that you can spend like five or six years there if you want to. Um, but going through this, as we were preaching through it, the two things that really jumped out to me were how Christ describes the people that they're, they're harassed and helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Mm. And I just think if you look at our current culture, I think what an apt description. I mean, obviously it was apt when Jesus spoke it. That's how the people were. They were under the tyranny of the Roman rule. But 
even so now, I mean, I don't know a better description for people in our culture than sheep without a shepherd. Mm. I mean, everyone is looking for meaning. They're looking for some form of purpose in their life. And that's a sheep derives that from the shepherd, right? You derive your meaning from what you're ruled by. And so in our culture, we're ruled by so many different things, Mm. but what we ought to be ruled by is the word of God, the law of God. And the other thing that stands out to me, um, especially when preaching through it, is that request, you know, pray to the Lord to send out laborers into the harvest. Well, why would Jesus ask them to pray that unless God was going to answer that? Yes. I mean, what's what's the goal? I mean, the topic of the day is, is uh, uh, are we to work for the kingdom of God? Like, are we called to work for the kingdom of God? Well, what else could this verse mean than we are called to work? I mean, if we're to pray for laborers, obviously there's labor to be done. Mm, mm, yeah. So why else would you pray, God, please send laborers? If if there's no work to be done, if we're not to work <laughs> for the kingdom of God, why do we need laborers? We can all just sit back with our mojitos on the beach and <laughs> you know sing some hymns until Jesus comes back. Yes. Yeah. Oh, exactly. That is, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for breaking that down and and sharing that with us. Um, yes. So, um, yeah. So, you know, before we, we start to get into, uh, some of these, some of these topics and, um, talk about the work that needs to be done, just like what pastor Hanson just brought up, you know, that there's work to be done. We are called to work for it. Um, we have to kind of discuss it and back up just a little bit and briefly remind you what we've talked about the past two weeks. So just just a quick recap. So first of all, um, two weeks ago, we talked about we, that we're called to take action. We're called to go there for, and we talked about what we were called to do. We're called to make disciples of all nations and all that that entails. And we're going to get more into the, the practical application and, and depths of what that is in today's show. But um, we also last week talked about defining the kingdom of God. And um, we talked about it specifically as, as coming from God, not out of this world. It comes from Christ. It begins spiritually and grows to affect all areas of society and the world. So it starts spiritually. It's a spiritual kingdom that then ultimately affects the physical world. So we discussed that. And we discussed the fact that the kingdom is gradual. It starts small like a mustard seed. Christ gave lots of examples, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? It's a small mustard seed that grows into a massive tree. We talked about Ezekiel 47 with the the river that starts at ankle deep and then grows to knee deep and then grows to waist deep. And then finally is so massive, you can't swim across it. And the waters give healing life to the trees around it and all of that, that huge picture in Ezekiel 47. So we talked about all of that graduality and that was meant to give you a little bit of hope, right? To, To kind of comfort you because we're in it for the long haul. We may not see these results tomorrow or even in our own lifetime, but we are given these promises from God. So now let's talk about kind of the purpose of today's episode. Today, we, we want to tie everything together and we want to go into a little bit more depth on some of the more practical aspects of the kingdom. Christ is king is kind of the theme of today's episode. And actually, uh, Pastor Hanson, that was your <laughs> that was your sermon today as well. So I was there furiously taking notes like, oh, we got to talk about some of this today. <laughs> um, yeah, we were in uh, we were in a, the end wrapping up the end of uh, Ephesians one. And that's yeah. that's kind of Paul's thing is, you know, hey, how is 
God the Father displayed his power. It's in the resurrection of Christ, and it's in uh, Christ being seated at the right hand, far above. I love the phrase far above, not just a little bit, but far above all authority, all power, all dominion, above every name. And so the the application was Christ is king. Mm, Absolutely. Yep, 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 100%. And so he is king. Now we need to talk about what that truly means. What does it mean when we Mm. say that Christ is king? So... I'll kind of, I, my, my flow and structure for today, we have about 20 minutes to get through some of these things, but I want to introduce the idea of working for the kingdom, introduce what that means and the hope that that entails. Um, and then I also want to talk about then and, and kind of switch to sphere sovereignty. Um, and that's kind of a Kuyperian phrase, a Kuyperian, uh, Abraham Kuyper introduced that idea of sphere sovereignty. He didn't introduce it. He derived it from scripture and kind of gave it a name, a title that we use. Um, But we're going to talk about the individual, the family, the church, and then the civil government. Um, And so there's a lot to talk about in those. But um, first, I kind of want to start to introduce the idea of working for the kingdom. And I know, Jake, you said that you had some verses that you wanted to bring up that related to that. Well, yeah, I, um, uh, a few verses that I wanted to bring up, which like, I, I wanted to bring up a few more verses which showed Christ telling us to work for to work for the kingdom and not just not just Matthew 28 but other verses that also show this as well hmm. um first of all one being Matthew 6:33 which says but seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you hmm. of course easy simple right there um it says but seek first his kingdom. Yes. Seek first God's kingdom. And, but then also another one that comes to mind is Acts 10 verse 42, which says, and he commanded us, and just keep in mind, this is that us is Paul and uh, the, the, one of the other apostles he was working with might've been Peter. I do believe don't quote me on that. I'm <laughs> not sure, but I, I do know Paul was the one who was talking and he was saying, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. And that mm. is talking about Christ being the judge. And so um, Christ commanded them to go out and preach and testify um, to the people. And I think that's the same command for us to go out and testify and preach. Yes. So just just those two verses for those that might be skeptical on whether or not we should be working. Mm. And of course, the the verse that we brought up for the verse of the week also showing that. Yeah. Laborers. We. Yeah. We as laborers need to be going out because the labor is plenty. Mm. Yeah. Um, Harvest is plenty. Laborers are few. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Great. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for bringing those up for sure. Um, And if you were watching us, those are up on screen and. Write those verses down, check them out, look at the context, look at them for further detail. Um, I'll bring up a few verses and then Pastor Hanson, if you'd like to add any verses to the list as well, feel free. (laughs) So so we intentionally used the word work in in the title of this discussion, because that's what it is. Christ said in Matthew 11, 29 through 30, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that was Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 through 30. There's still a yoke um, to put on and a, and a burden to pull, right? 
And we talked last week about what a yolk is. You know, two oxes, usually two oxes together with, with this wooden, wooden beam that goes across the two oxes so that then they can pull something, usually a plow or something, a farming utensil, right? Utensil? Yeah, implement. There it is. Um, and uh, like utensil for the dirt. Um, so, you know, there, there's a burden to pull. There's, there's a yoke. There's a tool to use. There's work to be done, right? This is evoking that image, imagery of, of a farmer working in his field. Um, Christ tells us that when we take on his yoke, though, we'll find rest for our souls. He told us that he is with us always to the end of the age. That's Matthew 28, 20. Um, so uh, before I get into what the work is that has to be done, anything that either of you would like to add as far as a, a call to work or add uh, to the verse list? <laughs> what well, I think, uh, you know, trying to narrow it down just to one passage mm is almost impossible and we yes, have from the beginning we have the dominion mandate which is is given to all mankind there mm. in genesis you know to go be fruitful multiply fill the earth take dominion you know uh you know, really to fill all of creation is what we're to do yes and yes. so that being the starting command everything kind of just flows off mm. of that right and so you can really look at any of the commands of god and even tells the children of Israel this, if you look in the Old Testament, you can look at any of the laws of God and in there are multiple purposes for the law. But one, I think that we forget a lot of times is, is they are to set the people of God apart, mm. right? Yeah. They're, they're to cause the nations to look at Israel and say, who is like their God? <laughs> yes. You know, and, and so that's, that's a purpose of the law. And so working for the kingdom, yes, we're to obey God for personal holiness, getting into jumping ahead in a little bit of Kyperianism, <laughs> you know, yes, we're to obey God for personal holiness, but God also gives laws for civil government. He also gives laws mm. for family government, for church government. And so basically, if you want to know, are we called to work, look at any command <laughs> yes. whatsoever. Yes. It's, it's supposed to build the kingdom. And Jesus himself summed it up in saying, you know, the law, uh, the law and the prophets are all contained in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm. And your neighbor is yourself. That's, that's a summary of the law. The entire law, the building of God's kingdom, obedience to God is summed up in those. Yes. So basically pick a command and you're called to work. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's a, and that's a really good reminder too that, you know, we we we're looking at this from a, a covenantal huge perspective of a string that goes through the entire Bible, right? This isn't something new, which we talked about in a previous episode as well. This is this has been the plan all along, right? This is what God's intention has been all along is to to build His kingdom, that His will would be done on earth as it is currently being done in heaven so yeah that's that's a really good point to make really good point well that that phrase on earth as it is in heaven only makes sense from that kind of kyperian post-millennial mm. point of view it, it doesn't you have to really spiritualize it if you you know <laughs> are trying to view it from a different viewpoint yes uh, if you have to basically say god doesn't actually mean that he means <laughs> right. this but no yeah. what he actually yeah. meant is we're to work and show you know God's will be done on earth, you know, bringing all of earth into all of creation into subjection underneath of him, just mm. like it is in heaven. Yes. Yeah. That's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. And I think, I think right there is like the whole, like, um, thinking about how 
in heaven how they obey God, right? It it's heaven, it's it's perfect, right? So they obey God perfectly. So we are to emulate that here on earth. Yes. It's it's very just like the the perspective there is once you think about how um God is being honored in heaven to then that's what now we're supposed to be doing on earth. Yep. It's yep. it's crazy like how much more we need to go from where we are currently. <laughs> yes. There's a lot of work to be done. And I think a lot of people try and limit it. They try and say, "Well, that's fine. That that just means like that Sunday morning, right?" <laughs> well, God doesn't give those parameters. Yeah. Right? Like like we we aren't allowed to put limits on God's command that he doesn't put. Mm. Right. Like that that's not our place. So when he says on earth as it is in heaven, our goal should be to go, "Okay, we want to see all of creation, all of the earth, worshiping God, obeying God here on earth as it is in heaven. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, and I'll just read two passages to kind of back this up and then we can start to actually get into some more of the specifics. So, I mean, obviously the first one right off the bat is Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, so it's kind of that comprehensive Christianity, all that I've taught you, make disciples of all nations, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 27, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So, uh, again, that was 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 27. So it's fairly clear through some of these passages that we are, A, called to work, and B, it's called to be comprehensive and across the entire world. So in short, to kind of sum up the last 18 minutes of our conversation, <laughs> we are being called to apply all of Scripture to all of life. And I, th I think actually your church, uh, our church motto is, apply all of scripture to all of lead. Right. So, yep. Yeah. So the town we live in is lead South Dakota and our motto is all of Christ for all of lead. Yeah. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. And so this is, you know, this is what it looks like. You've used the illustration before from the mayor all the way down to the local dog catcher, you know, like <laughs> I, I, I may have stolen that from oh, Doug no. Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, just, I, just intellectual honesty here. Yeah, right, that's, right, not, right. that's not original to me. <laughs> Yeah, well, you bring it up all the time, and I, I think it really sets that – it brings up that imagery, which I, I think is just wonderful, of, of just how comprehensive this this really is. Um, so, you know, we're being called to bring the teaching of the Holy Spirit to all areas of society and fundamentally transform them from top to bottom. That's a big task. I don't know if you've noticed society, but it's big. <laughs> There's a lot involved in society how do we begin to do this? Like, how do we look out our window and see all the corruption and all the godlessness and all that's out there and start to chip away at it, to do what we know now we know from reading all of this, that we're called to do it. How do we do this? This is a huge task. One of the best ways to start 
is to begin looking at the different parts of society that you have influence over. So you can't control the World Economic Forum directly. You can't control what's happening in Russia. You can't control what's happening in China directly right now from where you are, where God has put you. Maybe you're there. And if you are, that's awesome. Do it. <laughs> but most of us aren't, I'm going to assume. So what can we do where God has placed us right now? He's placed us in the places we are right now for a reason. Let's do what we can do. So that takes us into sphere sovereignty. And I want to take the, the last 10 to 15 minutes of this to, to break this down. There's so much more we could talk about. And before we go directly into that, I did yeah. have something to kind of set this up. And talking about this practical view, I I found a audio series by Gary DeMar, Gary DeMar, DeMar. Um, talking about the <laughs> book of Daniel, Ooh. but um, in how... And I think the title was How We Can Have Dominion in a Hostile World. Ooh. And and he talks about having a practical view and how we can be dominion seekers in a fallen world. Hmm. But first of all, he, he talks about Daniel, where Daniel and his friend and his friends have biblical names. But the the king wanted to change those names to fit a pagan to signify pagan gods wow um and but just setting this up talking about boundary lines right mm. and how daniel didn't want the king to change his name because that would be crossing a boundary line mm. and that boundary yeah. line was taking away focus from god so just setting up in practically thinking about in each one of these spheres thinking about boundary lines which we don't want to cross mm. obviously we're not i'm not saying that we we stay at this boundary line and we don't push past the boundary line that we we have to make sure that the enemy doesn't cross this boundary line but we want to be pushing the enemy um, further and further towards a biblical society. Yes. But just making sure that we don't cross this this um, boundary line the other way in going towards more of a debased culture. Mm. But, and I, I think taking this, this practically, um, taking the understanding that anything that takes away focus from God is not a boundary line which you want to cross. Mm. And, um, but just... That was my thinking through this entire audio series that Gary DeMar was going through, um, just as another practical application. Yeah, but, uh, absolutely. That's a really good call. Yeah, really good to bring that up, that there are places where we can compromise a little bit because we know in the end Christ will be victorious, and sometimes we need to hold back so that then we can push forward later. But then there's places where we absolutely have to stand our ground and say, no way right like i think for a majority of christians hopefully it's government schools right that's an absolute boundary line where we're like goodness no you cannot take my children away from me and train them we're going to mm. discuss the family in a minute and that's a huge part of the family's responsibility if the government tries the civil government tries to take over the the authority of the family government that's a big no-no right and if the it should be unfortunately that if the civil government tries to take over the responsibility of the church in, in handling the poor, right, or helping the poor, or preaching the gospel in the way that only the church is uniquely qualified to do, that the church should step up and say, goodness, no, that's my job. Get out of here. You know, <laughs> you don't have the authority to do that. Stay in your lane. So, um, 
Yeah, but developing those lines, knowing, all right, where are we now? Where are we going? We have to know the end goal. And how can we start working towards it? What are the lines we can start to draw? That's that's a really good point to bring up. So, uh, Pastor Hanson, anything you wanted to add before we moved on? Oh, man, I was just thinking, <laughs> I was like, there's there's so much I could add to that. But uh, uh, really, really two things, one serious, one kind of a joke. Uh, when you're talking <laughs> about uh, renaming Daniel, I was like, oh, please don't give our culture any ideas. There's going to be some (laughs) creature out there who's going to talk about how Nebuchadnezzar was dead naming Daniel. And, you know, just wait, just wait. Woke preacher clips on Twitter is going to have something within the next (laughs) week of someone trying to do that and being like, you know, Belshazzar was his new name. (laughs) So, uh, but no, in a a serious note, I think the only thing I would add is you have to know where your fight is. Mm. Um, Not we can't fight every fight. Mm. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. you have to know where is our battle. And I take a lot of encouragement from the early church and early church history, especially reading how the Christians dealt with uh, the heavy persecution in the Roman empire mm. because Christ was King, but there's that tension there of Christ is King, but Caesar is still, you know, appointed by King, by Christ to rule. He's doing it horribly. He's even butchering us. <laughs> yeah. We have to still honor him in where God has given him authority, mm. but we can't honor him where God hasn't. And so you have to know, you have to know where is your fight. And I yes. think that's yeah. a, that's a big thing that a lot of Christians struggle with is we don't think anything is our fight or mm. we think everything is our fight. <laughs> mm. Right. And, and yeah. we don't have that balance of saying, look, yes, this is wrong, but we can't fight here right now. We have to fight here. Like, like there, there's an active onslaught here in our quadrant. We can't abandon it and go mm. over here to fight. We have to stay where God has placed us. And so I think the boundary lines is dead on. And then on top of that, you just have to know where is my fight? It's somewhere. It's not. everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Really good point. Um, yeah. So, and yes, for everyone listening, this is going to be a bit of a longer episode. We just have so much to talk sorry, about. I have so much to talk oh, about. Oh, goodness. No worries. Yeah, no, we, we have Pastor Hanson here today. So we definitely want to take advantage of that. And there's a lot we, we have to chat about. So it's going to be maybe 10, 15 minutes longer, but um, I think it'll be worth it and helpful. So maybe two sittings instead of one. <laughs> so um, we only have time to touch even briefly even going 10, 15 minutes over, we're still touching briefly on some of these things. Um, so you should come away from this episode with questions. Like that's kind of the point. You should This should raise questions and you should start thinking, oh yeah, maybe maybe the Bible does tell me how to run this, this civil government or my family or myself as an individual or the church or all of these things, right? Maybe it does apply to all of life. And make sure that you're going to a church that can give you answers. Make sure that your your pastor can give you answers and, and help counsel you on these things. There's lots of resources, but ultimately your church is should be the place to go for answers to these kinds of questions. If you're in South Dakota, I highly recommend uh, One Up and Lead. I don't know. Just just saying. <laughs> it's a good one in that area. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so, And I mean, that, that harkens back to our uh, episode where we talked about when it is okay and not okay to leave a church. Yes. And like what a good church should look like. Yeah. I think that's another aspect of that, that your church should be the ones helping you, guide you, and telling you where your fight is, mm. you know? Yep, yep. Exactly. Exactly. So 
With that said, let's get into a little bit of Kyperianism, which is a fun word to say. Um, we've talked about sphere sovereignty like a lot in the past. I mean, it, I think we'd be hard pressed to find an episode where we don't bring up one of the spheres and talk about why it's distinct from the other three. Um, but this idea, in case you are brand new, is that there are four spheres of authority instituted by God in society. There is the individual, there is the family, there is the church, and there is the civil government. All are equal under Christ, and all are given ways to operate and um, operating guidelines, if you will, from scripture that tell them what their confines are, what their realms of authority are, and they're commanded to operate within those confines. So what happens a lot of times, though, is because some of those governments are larger than others in terms of the area or the amount of people that are under them, like the civil government of uh, uh, United States of America is significantly larger than the local church. It doesn't mean that one is more important than the other. It means that one is larger and maybe has a little bit more responsibilities than the other, but both are equally as important and both should be run according to scripture. So we have to first talk about the individual because everything begins on the individual level. If a person has not been fundamentally transformed so much so, so that he's reborn, right? He has no hope of transforming society in a meaningful way for the glory of God. Jesus says in John 3, 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot have sanctification, which is the fundamental transformation of a person's day-to-day -day life and their soul. You can't have that without salvation. And equally, every other government, family, church, or state, follows the same pattern. You can't have a fundamental transformation of the state. You can't have freedom and liberty without it being transformed and reborn for Christ. It's not possible. Um, and if it is, it's extraordinarily short-lived. Uh, a hunger for the word of God and a desire to learn how to apply it to all areas of their day-to-day -day life is dramatically important, right? We, we have to learn to develop this, this hunger, like David talks about, like a deer pants for water. So I hunger for your law, right? That's the kind of, of uh, desire we should have to learn about God and his word. And we need to be transformed. Um, when we talked about presuppositional apologetics and we talked about you, you not being able to possess wisdom or at least account for wisdom and knowledge without entering a Christian worldview, where does that Christian worldview come from? It comes from God. It comes from a changed heart. And without that, you can't possess a truly, you, you can't account for the things in your life. You can't possess a truly Christian worldview. Uh, Ephesians chapter one, verses 18 through 21 says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this name but also in the one to come that first talks about that passage in Ephesians is talking about having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so it's it's a changing you're fundamentally changed so that now you can go and do what Christ has called you to do. So that's, that's step one, is on the individual level. Anything else you guys would like to add to that before we move on?
I think you, I think you hit it well. I mean, okay. I, we all know that I can talk for a long time. <laughs> sermon is like 50 minutes, so <laughs> I can talk for a long time, but I think, I think you hit it. I think you hit it well. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. That's, yeah, that's I, would, high I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. So, um, moving now from the individual, we're starting to kind of boil up. We're starting to move through the, uh, the Russian nesting doll system, if you will, to the next level, which is the family, right? And, that's obviously bigger than just an individual, but it's made up of individuals. So it's the next building block. Um, I think it's Toby Sumter who says that families are the fundamental building blocks of society. These things that we call families mm. are vitally important. Um, and he talked about uh, Toby Sumter all the time talks about like a, a nuclear weapon. The nuclear family is a nuclear bomb. You wouldn't want someone messing with Iranium next door. <laughs> Uh, if they didn't know what they were doing, right? You don't want someone messing with the family because it will destroy the society. So raising and educating the next generation is the responsibility of the family. If a family does not realize the importance of training their children and the nurture and admonition of the Lord, or of ensuring they are given biblical presuppositions, they don't have a fully complete view of the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 15 says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted, uh, acquainted goodness, I can read, I swear, acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And again, that was 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. Uh, Deuteronomy 4, 9 through 10. I only list a few of these. I have a ton of verses and there's so, so many more, but I don't want to hog all the time. So Deuteronomy 4, 9 through 10 says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord, your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. So, so, and then this, this common theme is, is all throughout scripture that the children are important, this idea of covenantalism and covenantal succession of, of one generation passing down the presuppositions and a, a biblical worldview and teaching them to have that same panting for the law that David had. Um, this is vitally important. Uh, it's talked about Deuteronomy 29, 29, which we actually read today in Sunday school, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 7, Ephesians 6, 4. There are tons and tons of other passages. So send us an email, trdshow at protonmail.com if you're looking for more resources, or we can even recommend a book that we read on the show a couple months ago on Christian education for any resources that you're looking for. Okay, so that's the family, but I don't want to leave the family before asking for you guys' opinion or thoughts and perspectives. <laughs> I mean, I have, I have written down that the in talking about these boundary lines, this to me is like a most important boundary line for the family not to cross is in talking about the taking away focus from God in sending your children to a secular ed into a secular um, place to learn secular education. Mm. You're taking the focus from education yep. away from God and instead putting it 
into secularism, right? Yeah. You're not, you're not, into man. you're not taking it away from biblical religion and putting it into a secular religion. As we know, there are no new, there's no neutrality, <laughs> right? It's either you're, you're learning from the Bible or you're learning from some other religion. Yeah. And, and so this education in trying to take it away from God and trying to make it secular, you are basically teaching the children some other religion. Yes. By sending them to the school, you're taking the focus away from God. Yeah. Putting it into some other pagan pagan religion. Yeah. So Yeah, like like Christ said, if you're not for me, you are against me. There there mm -hmm. is no neutrality. There's no middle ground. If you're not teaching scripture, if you're not if your presuppositions are not based on scripture, you are against Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Well and I just want to point out one thing specifically on education as well. Yeah. I think we bought into the kind of Marxist framework of education mm. um, that uh, of what we believe education to be. The education is going to a separate place to learn reading, arithmetic, science, <laughs> history, right? And, and so you're yeah. going to this different place. Well, one of the things that I encounter a lot as a pastor is uh, we live in not a really wealthy community. Uh, there's a lot of single families, a lot of single moms in our community and, as well. And mm. they're unable, uh, do not have the ability to do something else for their kids. Mm. Like, yeah. like they work all day. And so, so there's, there's this weird balance, this weird fight that I have to kind of have of how, okay. It's not enough for me just to say, get your kids out of government schools. That's yeah. true, right? Like that's, that's yeah. true. No argument. We're not going to disagree on that. But I've had to pull it back even more to a foundational level of what is education. Mm, because yes. how do you look at the single mom who has no other option? Right, right. Right, who goes, my kids aren't going to know how to read. They're, you know, they're not going to know how to do two plus two. And this is a horrible education, but what do I do? Yeah. Uh, reminding them uh, when the Bible talks about education, the reason it's handled within the family is because the Bible speaks of education as all of life, mm. right? It is, yeah. it is providing your kids a worldview. Yep. Well, that yep. means as your kids go out into the world, you're going to have to correct their worldview. Some of us have to correct our kids' worldview more than others, mm. right? And so in those horrible situations, it's are you providing your kids the biblical worldview? Mm. Yeah. Like, are you giving them that foundation? Are you teaching them all things stem from God? Hmm. He is the definer of truth. Yep. You know, or are you allowing your kids to be shaped by the world? Because let's be honest, just because you homeschool your kids doesn't mean you're actually educating them in the Lord. Mm. Mm. Really good point. Yes. And I mean, that that ties directly into talking about um, the church, right? So mm -hmm. part of the job of the church is to help those families that are maybe single, single parent in the home, and they have children that need to be taught. Obviously, we, we don't give up the biblical idea of education, right? We don't just say, we don't just throw it out the window and say, oh, well, I can't do it. So all right, I guess I have to train them up in secular humanism but um <laughs> yeah. so we we can't get rid of that but then what is the answer and god gives us the answer by saying yeah. the church the church is the one who is to help these families help help the fatherless help the widow hmm. yep. and so we are the the church and in 
not to mention also the individuals in the church. And the church is not necessarily just the pastor. The church Amen. is all of the people in the congregation. Mm, they the should body. notice that yeah. this person yeah. needs help yep. and yep. offer to help. Oh, I can help train your, your child as you go to work. Yes. I can help um, teach them, give them some instruction yeah. or, you know, in other ways, help them monetarily. Um, but yeah, so in, it's a perfect segue into talking about what, what the church's job is. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. It's a great, great segue. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, you know, again, to reiterate, there's all sorts of other things we could talk about and go into this in so much more depth, but we just don't have the time. Unfortunately, we'll have to do another topic episode, literally just on the family. <laughs> I think on each of these, we could do two or three different topic episodes. Oh, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, we're going to get to the end talking about civil government. <laughs> You're going to be like, hey, Pastor Jonathan, what do you have to say about civil government? I'm going to be like, I got what, 30 seconds left? Yeah, right. like, <laughs> yeah this is separate. This is... I'll yeah. come back for a separate segment on it. That would be so. fantastic. We would love to have you back on the show sometime. And I think our audience is going to love that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is definitely going to be a longer. It is more reminiscent of our uh, old episodes from like three <laughs> months ago where it was like an hour, hour and a half. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When we have a special guest, though, I think we're, we can be a little more lenient on time. <laughs> so, um, so let's talk about the church since jake kind of set us up for that segue so the church should be uh, there's three tasks that i could identify uh, and these are large umbrellas a lot of things fall under these uh these umbrellas and pastor hansen i'd love to get your uh input and feedback on these as well but uh one of the primary tasks that i've identified from scripture is the preaching of the whole counsel of god that's acts 20 27 um the church should be preaching the whole counsel of god to their congregations and helping them to apply all of scripture to all of life so all the things we've been talking about today the church should be preaching on and i think the large majority of churches unfortunately today aren't doing that which is why our culture is in the state that it's in um you get a few good churches like for instance this really nice church up in Leeds, um, <laughs> that does preach all of scripture for all of life. But unfortunately, they're becoming to, they're, they're becoming a very rare breed. Um, so we, we need more of those churches. Um, secondarily, auxiliary to that is, is while carrying out this work of preaching the whole counsel of God, they should be caring for the poor. And we addressed that a little bit earlier as well. Um, but they should be caring for the poor in a way that helps them grow in the Lord. James 1, 27, but then also Ephesians 4, 28. Um, the church is uniquely qualified to both help these people because that's they get they get a tithe right to to be able to help these people they get that money that income but all that maybe a family wouldn't have the amount of of tithe the amount of income that a church has and maybe an individual doesn't have that but a church has the money side which the civil government has but the church also has the gospel the church also is is full of people who are steeped in the word of god and know how to help these people not i think that ephesians passage talks about fight, uh, going out and helping the robber, the person who's robbing people, helping to transform them so that they can work so that then they can become people who share the gospel too. You know, the church mm -hmm. has that unique gift of, and should have that unique gift of helping these people financially, but then also doing it in a way that teaches them to fish, teaches them to work, teaches them to follow and to be changed spiritually so that then they can go out and make disciples of all nations as well. 
So, um, anything either of you wants to say before I get to the final point about the church on those two things? Well, I mean, yeah, talking a little bit about your point there in that the the church does have a good bit of money. I I I, I wouldn't necessarily say that they have a large sum of money right. or maybe depending on the size of the church and how much tithe the church is getting but yeah. saying that the the church is is in a unique position to teach people how to fish right mm. the, the saying give a man a fish you feed him for a day teach a man to fish you feed him for life yep right the the church is in the position to teach people how to fish yes right and that's that's more of and they're also in a really good position. And really, can you think of anybody more qualified than the church and the pastor to teach people how to apply all the scripture to all of life? <laughs> Harkening back to Bruce's first point, it's the person who spends their week looking yeah. through the Bible, yeah. uh, preaching a sermon. Who else is more well-equipped than the pastor to teach people how to apply all the scripture to all of life? Yep. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm learning so much of what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, you're you're dead on it. It harkens back to um, the role of the pastor is to equip the saints yes. for the work of the ministry. Mm. Right. Like like uh, so many times, you know, there's just kind of this false idea within the church of the pastor is the one doing all the ministry, which is true. The pastor does do ministry. Right. But as far as ministering to the orphan and the widows, ministering to the poor, mm. like we're to be teaching our people that. Yes. Yes. Um, and I think there's even a good argument that the pastor shouldn't be the one heading that up. I mean, the apostles and pastors and apostles are very different, but still the apostles dedicated themselves to teaching and they mm. raised up uh, faithful men. It's actually the institution of the first deacons. Hmm. Um, so you have the elders who teach and then the institution of the first deacons there early on in Acts, they raised up faithful men to uh, take up the collection and care for orphans. Oh, and right. Wow. Um, and so there's that delegation yeah. side to it as well. And so, yeah, I think uh, the church is, you know, from the pastorate is supposed to provide the vision, right? He's supposed to go into the word of God and say, thus says the Lord. Yep. And then the people then go from there and they do whatever the Lord has thus said. Yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. And and so there's a lot of responsibility that falls on the pastor. But I think that's why uh, you see passages. This sounds like I'm kind of tooting my own horn and saying like, hey, <laughs> you know, but uh, <laughs> hey, I, I did it given... first. So I think you you can you can do it at least. <laughs> once. <laughs> OK, but I mean, you know, the 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 teaching elders are to be given double honor, you know, mm and things like that because they are to spend time in the word to help equip the saints yes. right so so they are uh, many times paid a certain amount so that they can dedicate that time in the word mm. um to be able to bring the word to the people and i think you know when you say who better qualified to teach than that i think well it really comes down to the qualification of the pastor mm. yeah right? like there, there are a lot of men who i would say mm, probably shouldn't be <laughs> you know um yeah yeah, but it comes down to the qualification of the man where a if a person is truly called by the Lord, then they are going to be equipped to do this. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I was I was more more or less talking about the time that they have 
Yeah. Whereas the the regular person has time uh, works during the day. Whereas I guess a typical pastor, I don't know exactly what you would do during the week if you have a different job or if this is this is your main job where you spend the majority of the day looking through the scriptures trying to set up either a sermon or just just reading through the scriptures to i don't know have a better understanding so you can give more to your congregation but mm. i i was basically saying that you know they have more time to do so yeah um, yeah. And again, that that depends on if they're if they have a different job to support their family. But um, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, one of the biggest parts of that, and I think one of the reasons we have so much heresy in the, especially in the church today, is that people just read either they just read parts of scripture or they just read mm. scripture without understanding the context or the historical context or anything like that. There's a lot there that Greek and Hebrew, you know, that there's so mm. much to dig. There's like five layers deep. You can go between the historical context, the covenantal context, the different exegesis methods. I mean, there's so much involved and for someone to just, you know, be like, yeah, you know, I know the word of God. I haven't really consulted anyone else or spent very much time studying it. But yeah, I, I know what I'm talking about. It's like, um, <laughs> hold on a minute. There's a lot here. <laughs> you know, like maybe you should. I don't want to say consult the experts, but there are people who study these things from so many different perspectives because God has given us those perspectives. You know, in Sunday school today, we were talking about the um, their, their secret things, but then there are things revealed uh, by God, right? There are things that he does reveal to us. This is all part of that revealed process, right? We have the original Greek and Hebrew, uh, or as close as we can get, right? We, we have uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, you know, we, we have all of these things that the historical context, we have historians who are secularists, but they actually provide us with the data we need to understand some of these things, right? Even the rocks cry out. So we have all of these things, but we need to study them and it takes time. And so for a pastor, that is, is a great thing because he has the time to study all these things. So uh, we have one last category to get to and 10 minutes to do it in. So <laughs> this is an hour long episode. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's an hour long episode. We just decided. So you didn't know what you were signing up for. Well, you did because you saw the, the time there at the bottom. Hopefully you watched this far. So, <laughs> so um, I did just want to specify one last two things and I'll get through them like super quickly. 30 seconds, I swear. Um, the church should also be actively involved in outreach. So attempting to bring new people uh, to faith in Christ, Ephesians 4.12, bringing new people into the church so that it can grow. And then also I'll just quote one passage that that really, and we actually quoted the, the first bit of this earlier, but it really shows how important the church is. And that's Ephesians 1, 22 through 23. Um, it says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the individual, civil government, family. Not quite. It says church, <laughs> all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all and that's Ephesians 1 22 through 23. We see in Revelations 20 the 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 image of the the bride coming down the city of Jerusalem uh, adorned as a bride for her husband. That's the church, right? We see all throughout the New Testament the bride of Christ is the church. This is obviously something that's vitally vitally important that we get right. Okay, so now moving on to our last quadrant of society. <laughs> Notice 
we've spent an oh, an hour talking about all the other parts of society like that should show you how i'm not going to say insignificant but how small this mm. last government actually is and how everything else is vitally important this is vitally important too because it was created by god but everything else is just as important and needs just as much time so here we go the civil government and i've asked pastor hansen to kind of give us the rundown on the civil government in the time that he has so take it away <laughs> so i think uh for first things first in really quick amount of time I, I heard a phrase i think it was michael knowles on the daily wire uh he used a phrase that said um uh small government is a a poor description hmm. uh because nations are large yeah and so you end up doing like even if it's a limited government what we should be saying is limited government hmm um not small government because yes. even if it's a large country you're going to have a large government right like you're going to have in order to accomplish those limited things yeah uh, the bigger the bigger the uh, the the nation the bigger the group of people the the larger the government will have to be and so he he it just really struck me because you know every once in a while for a catholic he hits something he hits something <laughs> yes. um, you know, for a, for an idolatrous papist oh. but, uh, but uh, really we <laughs> What you what you come down to is uh, Christ preached uh, real authority given to the government. He said, "Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, mm. and unto God that which is God's." Right, and so so we see just in that statement in Matthew, Jesus says there there are things that are duly given to Caesar. Mm right? Like Caesar has due reward and we are to give him specifically, he was talking about taxation, which is something, you know, anyone more libertarian or conservative will go, Ooh, taxation. No, <laughs> but, uh, um, Jesus said that he did have a right to tax. Yeah. And that's a limited tax, yep. but still yep. he had a right to tax. Um, beyond that, uh, there are things given to God. So there's things Caesar can do and things Caesar can't do. Yes. Caesar is not God. <laughs> he cannot declare himself to be God. And so when I preached through that passage in Matthew, I jumped us over to Romans 13. Hmm. Because, you know, in the height of the pandemic, in the evangelical church, everyone went, you know, you just you got to do whatever they say. Because <laughs> right. Like and, and and I found myself going, have you ever read Romans 13? Right. <laughs> like like. You keep, you know, it's the Inigo Montoya <laughs> bride, right? Like uh, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Yes. <laughs> and so if you trying to go through really quickly, I'm just going to read the first couple of verses of Ephesians 13. And I'm reading out of the Legacy Standard Bible. So if it's a, a little bit different, that's what's up. But uh, it says, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority. Notice now he says no authority. So in totem, no authority except from God. And those which exist have been appointed by God. So God establishes all authority, right? Harkening back to that passage in Ephesians, that he is far above all authority. Therefore, whoever resists that authority, the authority God has established, has opposed the ordinance of God. And they have opposed, uh, those, they who have opposed, excuse me, will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword in vain. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. 
Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of that wrath, but also because of conscience. Mm. For because of this, conscience, excuse me, for because of this, you pay taxes for rulers or servants of God devoting themselves to this very thing. So you really have two things in that passage. Uh, the ideal ruling uh, civil government, uh, it bears the sword to punish the wicked. And there's in a sense, you could kind of break that down and say, it's punishing the wicked and protecting the good, right? It's re rewarding what is good. And it is punishing what is evil. Um, and then there is, the other thing that they're allowed to do is tax. Mm. So you see, that encompasses a lot. Like, like, that's a, a, a in a large group of people in a group of millions of people. Yeah, that encompasses a lot. It's not a small thing, but it's a very limited thing. Yeah. They are given by God the right to rule the sword, to punish the wicked, mm. right? And who gets to define wicked? And I think that's where a lot of the discussion for Romans 13 comes in is who is the one who gets to define what is wicked? Mm. Is yeah. What is wicked defined by Caesar or is it defined by God? Yeah. Well, we know from the rest of Scripture, if Christ is seated far above all authority, including the civil authority, who's the one who gets to define what's right and what's wrong, what's yeah. good and what's evil? Yep. What's the king? You know, um, I love the Chronicles of Narnia. And, and in the Chronicles of Narnia, you have the four kings and queens of Narnia. You have Peter, Susan, Lucy, and Edmund, right? Well, Peter is defined as the high king, right? So, so Peter was the one who ruled over those three. Hmm. You know, those were the four high kings, but Peter was the one who ruled over them and Aslan <laughs> ruled over Peter, right? Mm. And so it's just this great picture of like the different tiers of authority that you have. Yeah. Well, that, that Lewis was, he was amazing at those type of imagery. Well, you have a similar image here of you have Christ seated on the high throne and he has delegated authority to Caesar, right? Mm. To the civil government. Yeah. So the civil government does not have the right to arbitrarily say, you know what, murder is actually good and we're going to reward murder, you know, abortion. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to criminalize good behavior, you know, uh, uh, going to church and partaking of the sacraments, right? Mm, yep. Well, we saw those things happen. They don't have the right to do that. Yes, yes. And we have no obligation to obey those evil things. We have obligation to obey the right things, right? We have, we are required by Christ to obey where he has put the authority yes. and where it is justly administered. Yes. Yeah. That is, that is a really great description. And um, yeah, I think what we've used on the show before is, is two things. First, you know, that Romans 13 passage is wonderful because it's a description of a civil government doing what it's called to do, right? It's a, it's a minister of good for your sake. You know, like it's, that's a description of a civil government doing what God has called it to do. But then also we see all throughout the, the Old Testament that it's to be the justice division of society. We see Christ restating many of those same laws, demonstrating that it's a justice, it's the justice division. You know, it doesn't do education. It doesn't build roads. It doesn't do uh, handling, of, uh, you know, helping the poor. It doesn't do those things. It is the justice division. It bears the sword and rewards the righteous. And one interesting thing, I forget where I was reading this, but um, might have been Gary DeMar was breaking down that rewarding is maybe tax, is pulling back on the tax for some people that are doing good, like the church, or is doing 
you know, are doing acts of mercy towards the poor and the tax is really hurting them. Okay, well, let's reward that. Let's pull back the tax so that they don't they don't have to give all that money to us. They can devote it to the poor. That sort of rewarding behavior, you know, not just like, here, take some money. It's like, well, here, we're going to take less, you know? <laughs> yeah. So. Right. Well, I mean, what greater reward is there than the government giving you a tax break? Let's be real. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I will say, I will say, I think it, uh, where the rubber meets the road on this is going back to the point of the divisions and knowing where your fight is. Mm. There's a city council meeting in Leeds, and the discussion, you know, you brought up how the civil government is not delegated by God to pave roads, mm. right? Uh, well, if there's a, a, a meeting and they're discussing paving roads <laughs> and becoming a sanctuary city for abortion, uh, yeah, I'm not yeah. going to touch the road thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Like that's not my fight right now. I'm going right. to go, you know what? God hasn't given you authority, but that's not the issue right now. Mm. Yeah. You know, and, and so it, it's knowing where the fight is. Yes. And yes. So that's yes. not going to be my introduction to the conversation of God and government with someone either. Right. My introduction is going to be God has given them like has delegated them authority. Mm. Yeah. But it's a limited authority. Yes. And yeah. uh, the only other thing I was going to say is, uh, to the evangelical fish, you know, the, the kind of spineless <laughs> evangelicals. Who, oh, I love that term. Yeah, I know. Doug Wilson is just great for terms, right? <laughs> and uh, so I would just say uh, that's a really good book, too, by the way. If you haven't read Evangelical Fish, it's Oh, great. that's a book? Yes, oh, that's a we're going to have to get that, that book wrote. now. It's, it's phenomenal. Nice. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, there are those who say, well, you know, when the civil government tells us to do something, we just submit because scripture says to submit, right? <laughs> You know, and there that there has been that argument made. I challenge any of them to make the same argument between husbands and wives. Mm, yeah, Scripture calls wives to submit. Yes. Would any of them counsel uh, a wife in an abusive relationship, right, to submit to their abusive husband? Right. Yep. Because yep. as a pastor, as a counselor, I wouldn't. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I would say you are to submit to your husband, but clearly this is a situation where he is violating God's law. Yep. And for your safety, for your protection, you must not submit. Mm. We will get you into a protective home. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's a really that, good point. Like you, you have to apply your same logic across the board, right? Yep. We're in an abusive church where there's abusive elder, elders. Like that's going across uh, multiple denominations right now. Sexual abuse scandals. Would mm. you, would you call those people who are being sexually abused to submit to their elders? Oh yeah. Nope. We're nope. commanded to submit to our elders, but if they're abusing you, leave. Yep. Yep. Like flee to another city, right? Right. That's what Christ told the church to do. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is a really good point. Really good point. Awesome. This, this has been so cool. And we could, I would love to chat for longer. I wish we did like kind of what uh, Fight Laugh Feast has with their backstage. Like, hey, let's chat more, Maybe you know, 10 extra minutes. <laughs> I know, because <laughs> there's so much more that we could talk about here. And we really, really appreciate having you on the show. Uh, Pastor Hansen, thank you so, so much for joining us today. Um, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to having you back sometime for sure. Awesome. Well, hey, it was my pleasure. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, Jake, anything you want to wrap up with? Uh, Pastor Hansen gave his monologue at the end. You got one? <laughs> 30 seconds or less. Okay. No. All no. right. Don't make this longer. Long, don't make this episode longer than it has to be. Okay. All right. You got it. You got it. Well, thank you all so so much for listening to us today. Don't forget, go to TRD Show. That's the Reformed Dissenters. TRDShow.net. 
It's our show website. Send us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com. We're looking forward to hearing from you. And if you watched all the way through this special episode, we really appreciate it. Leave us a like and a comment below letting us know, hey, we did it. We watched all the way through. And what's your favorite? Uh, what was your favorite part? What do you enjoy us discussing today? And uh, thank you all so, so much for listening or watching. And we will see you in the next episode. And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord.